Today's episode is brought to you by rockauto.com. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. You are Locked On Giants, your daily New York Giants podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Hello, New York Giant fans, and welcome to another edition of Locked On Giants, part of the Locked On Podcast family, your team every day. Patricia Trainer here with you. It is Friday, August 7th, and uh, as I've done all week, I've been taping these shows at night, so today is Friday's show, and... On today's show, initially what I was going to do is I was going to play some clips from the Giant Media Sessions Friday with uh, Leonard Williams and Saquon Barkley and Sterling Shepard. Some interesting stuff there. However, we had some breaking news that uh, I, I felt I wanted to cover on today's podcast. And that was the news that Giants cornerback DeAndre Baker has been formally charged with robbery with a firearm. I believe he's facing four counts of robbery with a firearm. And um, just been staying on top of all that, you know, been uh, pulling together uh, information uh, from the attorneys involved. We have story a story going on right now at GiantsCountry.com if you want to see what the attorneys have said when we reached out to them. But on today's show, what I actually want to do is I brought on in segments two and three, Daniel Lust, who is a sports law analyst. We've had him on the show before. He's a really good guy, former Giant intern who went on to become a lawyer. And when I reached out to him about five o'clock or actually it was about four thirty on Friday, I said to him, Hey, you know, I want to grab you for a show. I said, I've got loads of questions about the latest regarding this case. And so Daniel, um, very kindly said, okay, I can join you on the, on the conference call in an hour. So we got together and he very patiently answered my questions, gave his expert opinion as he always does and really some intriguing stuff there. So that will be coming up in segments two and three. Before we get to that, however, a um, couple quick notes. First, I am going to have the audio for you from the conference calls that were done on uh, Friday. Uh, we're just going to move that to Monday. And then for Tuesday's show, we have planned uh, Mark Schofield to come on. He's actually going to tape the show with me Monday, and he's going to come on, and we are going to talk about Daniel Jones and the added bulk and just some of the things he's done or what we believe he's done and how that could potentially help his game. And just I have a whole slew of questions for Mark, who is our quarterbacks expert um, on the Locked On NFL podcast. So Mark will be on the show um, next week as well. And then I don't know just yet what the Giants plan as far as uh, media availability. I believe Joe Judge will be available at some point next week. So we're just plugging right along here on the Locked on Giants podcast. I also want a quick mention that Zach Diossi, the longtime long snapper, um, has uh, 
retired. He for, he formally retired, uh, announced his retirement today, and uh, he's going to work in private wealth management for Goldman Sachs. And um, just, you know, real quick on Zach Diossi, I have covered him since he came to the Giants. Um, he was a fourth round pick in 2007, initially came in as a linebacker and has since, um, you know, since turned into a long snapper. He made a couple Pro Bowls. And fun fact, Zach Diossi and his father, Steve, who was also an NFL linebacker and long snapper, who had a stint with the Giants, they are the only father-son duo in NFL history to win a Super Bowl championship with the same franchise. Steve Diossi won a championship with the Giants in 1990. Zach, of course, won it in 2007 and 2011. He now calls it a career and, uh, you know, just a, a, a tremendous individual. I was very blessed to get to know Zach. Um, you know, has a lovely young family, two adorable uh, sons. And I wish him nothing but the best as he transitions to the next stage in his life. I'm sure he will crush it like he always has. Um, everything he's done, he's crushed it. And I'm sure he will do really well. So with that, the Giants now no longer have anybody left from that 2007 championship team. And, you know, that's going to be something we'll talk about when we get to Monday's show. But for now, Giant fans, let's take a quick break. When we come back, Daniel Lust joins the program to talk about the DeAndre Baker latest developments. So stay with us. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models of cars and trucks, it's become impossible for retail shops to stock everything in a traditional chain storefront. So the next time you need a part for your car or truck, visit rockauto.com. rockauto.com is a family-owned business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. RockAuto.com offers scores of different auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers for nearly every make and model of car out there. Whether it's for your classic or daily driver, get everything you need in just a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. The RockAuto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. Quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brands, specifications, and prices you prefer. Best of all, prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low and are the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. Why spend up to twice as much for the same parts? Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Write Locked On in their How Did You Hear About Us box so that they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. RockAuto.com Welcome back, Giant fans, to Locked On Giant Segment 2. Patricia Traina here with you. And uh, we're recording this show again towards the, uh, the, the latter part of the day. A lot of news going on. And as I said in the first segment here to break down the news about cornerback DeAndre Baker, who was charged today in Florida um, with four counts related to uh, his criminal case or alleged criminal case, I should say, dating back May 13th. Daniel Lust, who is a sports law analyst, is here to help 
answer some questions I have and break down the latest news. Daniel, thanks so much for hopping on the line with me. Patricia, always a pleasure. And when I saw this news uh, come across my Twitter timeline, I, I immediately thought of you. So uh, very much happy to get the call and break it down with you. Well, appreciate you as always. And, and uh, Daniel, I, I know, you know, as we record this information still coming out, we at Giants Country are still kind of working to see, you know, what each party has to say. But I think the first thing I have to ask you, and I'm sure you've looked at everything, you probably have seen the statements by the attorneys, um, you've, you've seen, you know, the probably the announcement by the, um, the, the district, the prosecutor. First thing I'd have to ask is um, in relation to, for, I guess, why, number one, why wasn't Quentin Dunbar charged when he was, you know, allegedly part of the whole thing? What, what did maybe, you know, and I know you're speculating at this point, but why would everything seem to have been dropped against him if he was allegedly there with Baker the night of the um, event in question? Um, it's, it's a good question. So let's, we don't even need to talk necessarily about speculation. Just we'll talk about stuff that's not necessarily typical. So in, in a case like this, where every indication we had until this point was that, uh, Baker and Dunbar, even though they had separate attorneys, that they were either kind of all in or all out. We never had an indication that one was involved and the other was not involved. That's just um, not how it was being reported. So today, um, you know, uh, Baker, and we'll get into Baker, is charged with four counts of, uh, you know, felony firearm charges, which come, um, you know, we'll get into the offenses, but very serious charges. Meanwhile, Quinton Dunbar, the cases dropped against him for insufficient evidence. Um, so to me, that raised kind of a, um, I'll say a red flag or just something that's atypical. You know, in these cases, you see it in the movies, you see it in television shows. Sometimes someone cuts a deal, right, and they get immunity to testify against somebody else or to, to give someone uh, evidence. Um, but that's not what we have with Quentin Dunbar. Quentin Dunbar is off scot-free. There is no, um, there's no apparent deals. There's just insufficient evidence. Um, so that kind of stood out to me as being uh, strange, especially when these guys had kind of been either, you know, a package deal in or out um, the entire time, at least as has been reported over these past three months. What are the things Bradford Cohen, uh, based on the information we were able to get, and, and uh, Giants Country writer Pat Rogaza was able to get him on the phone, uh, Bradford Cohen basically questioned the validity of the information that was furnished by the four witnesses um, whose testimony apparently contributed to the prosecutor's decision to charge Baker. Um, Cohen, uh, and I'm paraphrasing here, you know, questioned the the people's uh, character. I believe at one point he referred to them as convicted felons, if I have this correct. Um, and, uh, you know, just seemed very anxious to get this case to trial so that he could get it thrown out. Now, my question to you is, is assuming these, these four witnesses were indeed um, convicted felons or, or questionable characters, why would there, you know, would their information necessarily hold up? Or, I mean, how does that kind of work when you're talking about somebody who maybe has a prior record as opposed to somebody who doesn't? I mean, that's, it's not necessarily relevant to whether they're credible or not in terms of, uh, you know, you could be a felon and still be able to tell the truth under oath. That, that wouldn't necessarily, um, you know, be something that would prevent, obviously, someone from, from being an honest witness. Um, what, I, what I found a little more alarming is Pat and you know Patricia? We talked about this on, on the last time I was on. These witnesses have said one thing under sworn oath, and then 
they said the um, at least when it when it came to Quinton Dunbar, I remember we we talked about this. Um, the exact opposite under oath. And now there was obviously some question as to what was the incentive for that if they were paid off. Um, but at this point, you know, if I'm the district attorney in this case, I can't listen to a single word that these witnesses say. They're inherently unreliable because they've just switched their story within 72 hours. So my my you know perception of the case before um, you know we we had any type of allegations of lawyers potentially paying off witnesses was just that these witnesses can't be viewed as reliable at all because they've literally just flip-flopped what the reasoning doesn't really matter but when you sign under oath uh to, to tell the truth you you know it's not it's not like it's so common where someone then swears to tell you know the exact opposite story on a different sworn document so i do find it um you know i understand bradford Cohn's frustration that the prosecution is relying on the same witnesses who have just shown their character for truthfulness which is that they can just be bought out at a moment's notice. So um, I, I find that a little strange. Um, I wasn't ruling out, um, you know, truthfully this whole time that the charges could be dropped as to both players because of the inherent unreliability of these witnesses. But the fact that Quinton Dunbar alone walks and Baker, meanwhile, they turn around and they hit him with four felony charges with a firearm, um, that I did not see coming. So, uh, you know, I understand why Bradford Cohn is a little surprised and, and taken aback here. Put yourself in a, a moment in the prosecutor's shoes. Now, if you've got these four witnesses whose testimony is unreliable, it seems to change with the win. I mean, what are you basing the case on then? I mean, the part of this is, is you know, we, we don't know this, right? This is the speculative part, which we can only kind of, you know, figure out exactly what's going on uh, from what they see to the media. The whole time in this case, we've known, um, at least when they had these initial charges, the only thing that we knew is that they were based on these uh, it was four four victims and one witness based on their their testimony. Now, in that first, we'll say two three weeks. Um, I remember, and I and I brought it up today online just because I, I thought it was relevant. Um, there there are two attorney uh, two attorneys that are handling uh, DeAndre Baker's case. The other one is a guy named Patrick Patel. Um, he's a New Jersey attorney. Uh, he at one point spoke to um, you know members of of uh, the Giants media and said uh, he that he guaranteed a dismissal. It was just a matter of time. It would be soon that he guaranteed that DeAndre Baker would be dismissed from the case. Now, if I'm the prosecutor, right, and, you know, Patricia, you asked me to be in those shoes. If I saw that comment from an attorney that, that they guaranteed dismissal, it was just a matter of time, I, I'm not so happy with that. Um, you know, Quinta Dunbar's attorney had his own issues, and there might be some issues of, um, you know, professional malpractice uh, to the extent that he uh, might have allegedly paid off a witness or facilitated paying off a witness. But that's still not the same as guaranteeing a dismissal because the latter is kind of making the prosecutor's office look bad. So um, I imagine what occurred in these past three months, the charges came right around May, um, is that the prosecutor dug into whatever they could possibly find to try to make a case and to not, you know, not look like fools in the, in the national media landscape. They brought these charges and now they just had to throw them out. Um, but that being said, uh, I'm still sitting here, you know, I've seen the news, you had some time to digest it. I still, you know, I, I can't really understand what exactly it was that allowed the prosecutor to decide, well, I trust these witnesses only with respect to what they're saying about Baker. I think there's insufficient evidence with respect to Dunbar. So I imagine there's just something we don't know, be it a witness, uh, be it some physical evidence, um, or maybe just some uh, additional uh, people, or maybe things that, that uh, Baker said, but there's something that we don't know because uh, this result doesn't add up by, by what's in the public realm thus far.
Another thing that doesn't really add up for me, Daniel, is, is now I'm, maybe I'm oversimplifying it. If I am, you know, by all means, shed some light on this. But if I were accused of a crime and my attorney had evidence proving my innocence, as, as Baker's, you know, attorneys have, you know, said they have, that, you know, hence their confidence in this being dismissed, as, you know, quickly. I would be on my attorney to get that into the court system, you know, you know, get that to the police and just, you know, present it. Don't sit on it. Get it out there. Why hasn't that happened? If they have all this evidence and it just seemed like, and I'm going back to earlier when this case first developed, they, they're like, oh, we're going to not disclose all this information at first and we're going to, you know, unveil it in due time. Why wouldn't you, if you had all this arsenal of information that could potentially clear your client's name, why wouldn't you put it out there right away? You would. Um, this is the time when you, if you have that smoking gun, I mean, nobody, it would be insane for someone to wait until trial to show their good evidence. You put that on the table soon, you get this done with and, you know, Patricia, not to mention, the quicker you get this done with, the quicker you can try to get your NFL career back on track. So, um, you know, to just kind of make sense of that, if, if they did have a smoking gun, um, it would have come out early. There's no disincentive to bring it up early, getting your client out of the case. So something that, that kind of took me, uh, that I've just kind of filed away on, on the DeAndre Baker case, he had this um, very, uh, we'll say novel kind of Madden defense that he wasn't involved. Uh, in the incident, whatever it is that occurred or being alleged to have occurred, he was playing Madden. He was, you know, with a couple people playing Madden. He brought his own Madden, and I guess they were gambling on Madden, whatever. The, I'm not sure if that exactly occurred, but that they had Madden. He was involved in some type of game. Now, to me, uh, I've been waiting for the witness for about three months. Um, DeAndre Baker is involved in some type of Madden game. He's not, he doesn't say he's playing alone, right? There, there should have been some type of witness that came forward that could have corroborated that. Um, not to say it hasn't, but it hasn't, we haven't heard that in the public realm. And we've heard a lot of things that have come out in the public realm. So um, it's also possible, right? And, and one of the reasons you don't, uh, that's, you know, you have a case, uh, just to draw another analogy, Ed Oliver with the Buffalo Bills got charged with a, a weapons charge in a DWI uh, right around the same day, actually, just coincidentally as as Dunbar and, and uh, Baker. His attorney, uh, we didn't hear any any public statements from him, no public statements from either, you know, either attorney or the client. The reason you might want to do that um, is because you don't put your foot in your mouth. You don't lock yourself into a theory and look bad if the witnesses don't then corroborate you. So I, I have a sneaking suspicion. Again, um, you're just going off of what's in the public realm. Um, we never got confirmation of this bizarre Madden defense, which Baker's attorney was very quick to throw out. Uh, and then we waited three months and no confirmation. So um, my, my sense here is that they might have put their foot in their mouth with the theory that they couldn't back up. Uh, and, and now they're kind of left holding the bag with this theory that um, doesn't make sense. I mean, obviously, at trial, you can kind of go in a number of ways. You're not wed to that theory. But in the court of public opinion, uh, obviously, that's not going to bode well. Obviously, this case is probably going to have to go to a jury. But given how it has been handled, what has come out, you know, I mean, again, if you're you're an attorney, I would think you'd probably want to present what you have as quickly as you have to the appropriate authorities and not – I guess, negotiate or, or try or not try or defend people um, in the public realm. So I, I guess my question here is, how much damage do you think has been done to Baker's case? Because now, you know, I would think getting a jury together who hasn't heard of this might be a bit of a challenge. 
It depends. I mean, I guess, uh, again, not to, it's important to kind of look at this in the sports concept. We're dealing with this right now in another case. I'm tracking the Kobe Bryant wrongful death case. Um, there, the pilot in that case has made a motion to remove the case from Los Angeles because you'd think that that, of all venues, would be the most favorable, uh, you know, to Kobe Bryant and on the other side, unfavorable to the defense. So when it comes to, um, you know, juries for, for Baker, I mean, this case would be a case that'd be tried in Florida. Um, you know, I don't think we'd have the same type of prejudicial effect as you would with like a Kobe Bryant or even another example, the Boston bombing case. You know, that case um, probably shouldn't, uh, I think you make the argument it shouldn't be in Boston. Um, but I, I think, you know, you just have to kind of rely on the law to some extent. If they could find an impartial jury for, uh, you know, any number of cases, it's not easy. Um, but I don't think Florida is the type of venue where you have to be so concerned um, with different, you know, um, an impartial jury uh, factor being in. So, uh, I guess the other part of this, Patricia, you and I are in the sports vortex. Everyone that's listening to this uh, podcast is going to be in the sports vortex. But, you know, needless to say, when you pick a jury pool, uh, be it in Miramar, Florida, or, um, you know, in, in Westchester County, New York, it could be anywhere. Um, but you're going to pick a pool of jurors. And I've, if they've heard about the case in the media, um, that usually will disqualify them from juror service. It's not automatic. But you want a jury that can come in with a clean slate that's only going to hear about the facts that are brought up during the actual case itself. So, um, again, just for people uh, you know, that follow this type of stuff, there's this very famous Casey Anthony case from uh, a couple of years back. Uh, that was a case that was all over the media. And it was, you know, how she was guilty. She was convicted in the media ahead of time. And the jurors uh, there, it was a really extensive process to pick an impartial jury. Because almost everybody had heard about the Casey Anthony media coverage, but they really worked hard, took them, you know, weeks to find a jury that had been, uh, you know, un untouched and really that was impartial still after hearing all the media coverage. So that's a little bit of um, what, what we'd expect uh, in the DeAndre Baker case. You're listening to Locked on Giants with Patricia Trena and special guest Daniel Lust. You can find him on Twitter at Sports Law Lust. And... We will take our final break. When we come back, we're going to look at the NFL side of the DeAndre Baker situation. So stay with us. Welcome back, Giant fans, to Locked On Giants. Patricia Trena with you, and I'm joined by Daniel Lust. He is a sports law analyst, an attorney, one-time Giants intern for PR. So glad to always catch up with him. He, you know, even though unfortunately we have to catch up about uh, bad news, such as you know this this uh, case with DeAndre Baker and his future hanging in the balance. And Daniel, let's turn the attention now to the NFL side of things. And you know, I saw a report. I think it was by the NFL Network that, given the fact that DeAndre Baker was charged now formally by the prosecutors that the Giants, if they want to, they can go after his guaranteed money, his signing bonus and whatnot. Can you just kind of explain and break that down for everybody, what that entails and why they weren't able to do that before and, and why they might be able to do it now? So DeAndre Baker, uh, obviously Quentin Dummer had been placed on the commissioner's exempt list and there had been an appeal filed uh, by DeAndre Baker, because in terms of the letter of the law, he viewed that he hadn't been formally charged yet. It was just kind of, um, you know, he was kind of in limbo. So that appeal obviously will have to be dropped because uh, formal charges have been filed. Um, you know, I don't know if he was necessarily going to win on the argument. Otherwise, as you know, you can be placed in the commission as exemplist. I think there's a reading of it that you don't actually need formal concrete charges. But, you know, at this point, um, 
you know, I, I, don't, I hate to say it just because, uh, you know, it's a man's livelihood. Um, but these are very serious charges that, that you know, it's a potential maximum uh, life sentence. Um, you know, Patricia, I was with the Giants uh, during the Plexico Burr situation. I was, you know, in PR as it was occurring. Uh, and I know that that was not something that the Giants uh, enjoyed dealing with. And we're coming off of a week. It's not, not so long ago at this point. Um, Aldrick Rosas was dismissed from the team for, you know, I'll, I'll just say it, much, much less uh, significant charges. It's not armed robbery, right? They're very different. So, you know, if, if you were just kind of reading the writing on the wall, Baker might be uh, a very recent first-round pick. Um, but the Giants, and that's why they're known as a very classy organization, um, they're, they're not going to give guys, uh, you know, chances over and over, especially if there's uh, something as serious as this that's, that's looming in the background. So, um, you know, we can talk about civil charges, right? Like in the Antonio Brown context, those are civil charges. There's a difference between civil and criminal. But once the prosecutor's office comes in, you know, that's not a civil case. You know, I, Patricia, I could file a civil lawsuit against anybody. I don't need anyone's approval to file a civil lawsuit. But the DA's office is a separate third-party entity. And once they put their stamp of approval on it, um, that's a higher burden of proof than the commissioner's office even needs to suspend somebody. Uh, so I don't really think it's looking that good for DeAndre Baker right now. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, I, I hate to say it, but this might be uh, the last time that uh, DeAndre Baker is, is in a Giants uniform. Yeah, really a shame if, if, you know, and and here it is, you know, the Giants have done everything possible to wait for all the facts to come out, to see how this plays out. And, you know, look, there's still the element of innocent until proven guilty. And even though, you know, charges have been filed, it still has to go to trial. He's nobody is, you know, has proven him guilty just yet. Right. I mean, it, it is innocent until proven guilty. So the guy, you know, DeAndre Baker is not going to prison. And that's the, you know, obviously innocent until proven guilty. But when it comes to the NFL, as we've seen time and time again, um, playing the NFL is, is a right. It's not a privilege. Um, you can have something like, a you know, a Ray Rice situation. Um, Ray Rice is, you know, uh, probably lost years off of his career because of something he did off the field. Um, and now again, uh, you know, I'll be the one to say it. Uh, armed robbery, you know, with a with a firearm, robbing people at a party, as is the allegation here, um, is one of the more serious charges we've seen, uh, I'm going to say in the last 15 to 20 years in the NFL. This is not by no means a common charge in, in any level of professional sports. So the optics of this, um, you know, I think the Giants have done the right thing, sat back, they've waited for the facts to come out. And now here's the first, you know, it's a lot of speculation, a lot of conjuring who's going to get charged or both charges going to get dropped. This is the first official chess piece to be moved. He's formally charged with this. And now he has to drop his appeal of the commissioner's exemplist. Um, and I think this is the triggering event that would allow the Giants to cut ties if they so true. They don't have to. Uh, they've obviously invested a lot in, into DeAndre Baker. Um, but this might be the, uh, you know, the, the catalyst to allow them uh, to, to make that move. And I don't, I don't think the court of a public opinion would disagree at this point. Can you explain how, though, they would go about recouping money that they've already paid out? I believe what they would try and do is, and correct me if I'm wrong, is they would try to get back the signing bonus, which I would imagine would be difficult, you know, especially given, you know, his legal expenses. But, you know, certainly they can void out the, I, I would think, the, the unpaid guaranteed money he was due to make. But recouping any money that has already been paid out, how exactly would that work or would it work? 
I'm not as familiar with the money that has already uh, been paid, whether they can get that money back. That might be the, the subject of a grievance. Um, but I do know, obviously, there are certain triggering events, um, according to the, you know, the NFL's personal conduct policy that would uh, allow you to void remaining payments for remaining, remaining years on a player's contract um, should this type of activity occur. And I don't think anybody is going to argue that, uh, you know, a weapons charge and a potential maximum life sentence, even just the optics of that and just being charged with that by a third party DA's office, um, that that could rise to a level with where um, those those remaining payments and money should be voided. Um, as for money already paid, I imagine, um, just because I, I dealt with this a little bit in the Antonio Brown context, um, I imagine there is a mechanism within the grievance protocol to unwind some of that money. Um, the issue is, you know, DeAndre Baker, uh, he's not going to be a member, you know, Antonio Brown played ball to some extent because uh, he wanted another job in the NFL, so he was able to settle up with the New England Patriots. Um, I'm not sure uh, this is going to be as cut and dry for DeAndre Baker, who um, you know, might not be looking at an NFL paycheck anytime soon. In terms of the penalty that, that Baker is looking at, if, he is com- if he's convicted, um, I saw anywhere from 10 years to life. I mean, is there a chance that maybe he can cut a deal with the prosecutor if, you know, if there's extenuating circumstances or ways he can help or if other people were involved or is he pretty much on his own? Well, this is this is kind of the interesting part here. I mean, those are the minimums and maximum of the as charged offenses. So everyone that's listening to this will, um, I imagine, has been charged with some type of speeding ticket in, in their life. So if you get hit with a, you know, you're going 60 miles an hour over the speed limit, you don't have to plead to the as-charged offense, right? You can negotiate it down and negotiate a more reasonable settlement. Those are just the initial charges. If a deal is going to be cut, it's obviously going to be, um, you'd imagine, obviously either at least on the lower end of that range or even beneath that range with different charges. You can substitute in uh, lesser included offenses. Now, you know, Patricia, here's, here's the part that's going to be interesting to see. Um, by all indications, right? There were, uh, at least as per the initial reports, the ones that we're going to say, at least in theory, were untainted by any type of uh, improper payments or anything like that. There was an indication that multiple people were involved in this incident. So, you know, uh, multiple people had said DeAndre Baker had a gun. Some people said that Quinta Dunbar um, was involved. But in any event, there were three, I think there was three people involved. There were getaway cars. So, but DeAndre Baker, right, he now has to change his strategy. Dunbar is no longer involved, and he now maybe has to feel the desperation that charges could be coming down. So is there a chance for him to cut a deal? Of course. And also, you know, let's not take into, let's not lose fact of the, you know, side of the fact that he might now have some information, maybe other potential parties that were involved that he might want to offer up in order to potentially get a better deal. So, you know, we talked earlier, if he had a smoking gun, why wouldn't he say it? I mean, sometimes saying less is more, um, but now kind of all bets are off. So I, I don't want to rule out that there could be some other uh, element of this that DeAndre Baker might now want to come forward. He might want to change his theory. Um, I'm of the opinion if this was my case, Patricia, I would have been upfront with this ahead of time to try to get out of it. But again, I, I wouldn't, you know, in the same sense for if I was DeAndre Baker's attorney, I wouldn't have bragged to the media that the case was going to get dismissed um, in about a week or two after the charges are filed. Um, to me, that that didn't really uh, curry any favors with the prosecutor's office. So um, different, you know, from what another t- attorney might do. So as much as I don't think there is a smoking gun, I thought it would have come out earlier. Let's not completely uh, count that out. And again, there's the, the man's life, his, his livelihood is at risk here. So 
Um, at this point, uh, you know, expect the unexpected. There might even be more information that Baker was withholding for whatever reason. So with all that said, you know, who knows when this case is going to go to, to, to trial because of the COVID pandemic going on. And I understand that there's backlogs in the court systems, not just down in Florida, but all over the country. But when this case does eventually go to trial, I mean, is there... You know, put yourself in in the case if you were the defending attorney. How would you go about defending this? You know, you haven't. You know, to the to date, you haven't produced a quote unquote smoking gun. You've been talking about how this is going to be dismissed, how nothing's changed. You've been questioning the credibility of the witnesses. I mean, so a lot of stuff's been out there. So, what's the, what's the next logical step if you're an attorney defending this case? Well, I think that we, we've saw the next logical step. We had a, a statement from Bradford Cohn that was put on, on Instagram. Uh, and he's saying a lot of the same stuff that, uh, you know, I kind of said at the top of this, that in theory, right, I'm not sure how the prosecutor's office is relying on these, these statements of these witnesses have already flip-flopped. So what is Bradford Cohn really doing? He's protecting his client. He's kind of trying to get out there and get the public back in their favor because people like me that have been following the case I have questions, right? That didn't really make sense to me. And, and Bradford Cohn, I, I like that he's going out there and, and kind of stating the obvious. How is the prosecutor's office coming forward with this new conclusion that we're going to listen to the witnesses only when it comes to Baker and no longer Dunbar? Obviously, in the course of the case, you're entitled to discovery. You're entitled to, and discovery is the concept of, you know, it's not like you have to wait until trial for the stuff to come out. Each side, you know, you don't have to reveal your theory of the case, but you do have to reveal documentary pieces of evidence, right? Witness statements that you spoke with. So the next step in this case, I can't imagine, uh, right, at this point that Bradford Cohn doesn't have all the evidence the prosecutors have. I imagine they've had a lot of, you know, a couple of months to exchange documents. So, but if I'm him, I'm, I'm, you know, slamming my hand on the table and I'm trying to see what else they use to come to this potential conclusion. Because for me in the public realm, I, I do think there's something missing um, because I don't, I don't understand how you believe the witnesses only with respect to what they said about Baker, but not Dunbar. And mind you, Dunbar's attorney is the one that had to get off of the case because he was accused of improperly paying them. Um, to me, that smells a little funny. Um, and I imagine there's just something else there that um, at least hasn't been disclosed to us and maybe not even yet disclosed to, to Bradford Cohn and DeAndre Baker's side. All right, Giant fans, that'll do it for this edition of Locked on Giants. I want to thank Daniel Lust for joining me to help answer some of these questions that I had regarding uh, the DeAndre Baker situation. And uh, you can find him on Twitter at Sports Law Lust. He also has a podcast called Conduct Detrimental, which uh, I'm not sure how often it comes out, but uh, if you follow him on Twitter, he announces when they have new episodes. And, you know, they cover some really interesting stuff, not just in football, but across the board. So do check him out. For Daniel Lust, this is Patricia Trainer. Thank you for tuning in, Giant fans, and we'll talk to you next week.